Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Good morning and welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are joining us today. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here. And wherever you find yourself this morning, we are so glad that you're with us. If you're tuning in for the first time or maybe the first time in a while, welcome back. And a happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. I had to double check to make sure it was Memorial Day weekend. I hadn't used my calendar in a while. So if you have done something special or gone someplace nice for Memorial Day weekend, congratulations to you. For the rest of us, if you're like me and you're at home on this Memorial Day weekend, well, I hope it is as happy and as meaningful as it can be for you. Now today we're going to talk about something important because the thing that we're going to be unpacking and talking about plagues all of us. It is behind all of our regrets, our mistakes, all of the failures and disappointments that we've experienced in our life. It's the thing that is at the root of all of the moments that we wish we could go back and do differently. And it's even the thing that's probably at the core of kind of this nagging dissatisfaction that maybe you feel in your heart and in your life. See, we are in week six of the never-ending story called Exodus. And today we're going to look at a particular Um, famous passage, a famous set of events that happened in the story of Exodus that I think will shine some light on maybe the biggest issue that we struggle with as people. And it's not obvious immediately, but I think as we begin to dig into this, we'll realize how much we bump up against this issue again and again and again. Now, we are going to look at a man who Normally, we would not identify with, but I think he's actually the perfect person for us to look into his life, look into the things that he wrestles with and deals with, uh, for us to kind of discover the same issues that we face. And this is Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is the antagonist of the story. He's the bad guy. He's normally somebody that we would never associate or identify with in the story of Exodus. But I think in this moment that we're going to look at, Pharaoh is us, and we are him. Now, At the beginning of kind of Moses' and Pharaoh's encounters and conversation, Moses goes to Pharaoh to ask Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. He kind of has this whole sales pitch that says, listen, the God of Israel is telling you to let the Israelites go. And if you don't, it's going to be problematic. And Pharaoh asks a very important question. And I think it's the question that I want to spend our time with today. This is the question that Pharaoh asks as Moses goes to him asking for Pharaoh to release the Israelites out of slavery. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should listen and obey? The question he asks is, Who is the Lord that I should listen and obey? Now, we have to understand a little bit about Pharaoh's world and the time in which you know, all of this is happening. It was not uncommon for there to be lots of gods that people listened to and obeyed. In fact, in the Egyptian world, there was kind of a pantheon of over 114 different gods. So Pharaoh was really comfortable with listening to and obeying their gods, the Egyptian gods. There were all sorts of gods that the Egyptians identified 
based on kind of things that they experienced. Maybe it was the Nile River, or it was the sun, or the moon, or cattle, or the wind that would blow. They would find all of these things in their life. They would deify them, and then they would listen to, obey, and ultimately try to appease and satisfy these gods. And so when they wanted a bountiful harvest, an abundant crop yield, they would sacrifice and give offering to the Nile God so that the God would flood the Nile basin and then all of their crops would grow and be prosperous. And so they associated and attached a lot of the things that they wanted in life, the ways that they would satisfy their desires, their longings, their sense of fulfillment and prosperity. They depended on these gods to help them get what they longed for most. So it was not strange for Pharaoh to encounter a God that was asking Pharaoh to listen and to obey. But the problem was this was not one of the Egyptian gods. This was the Hebrew God. And so Moses comes and says, Pharaoh, this God is asking you to let the Israelites go. Now, Pharaoh recognized that that would be kind of in direct contrast to the thing that he wanted most. That would be the prosperity of Egypt. And the way that he gained the prosperity of Egypt and his sense of power and control, you know, and supremacy over the world was to subjugate and to put people into slavery. And in particular, in this case, the Israelites. And so Moses comes to him and he says, let them go. And Pharaoh asked this question, who is the Lord that I should listen and obey? And I think the question that Pharaoh asks is actually the question that we ask, even if we don't realize it. Even if this question is something that kind of lurks in the back of our mind or in the core of our heart, you know, kind of subconsciously or, you know, beyond our sense of awareness and understanding. But this is the question that we're asking. Which God should I trust? What gods should I devote my life to? Of all of the gods available to us, which God should I listen to? Which God should I obey? Now, I know this sounds a little strange because kind of in the context of a church, it seems clear that there should be only one God. But I think actually our lives look far more like Pharaoh's life than we realize. We actually have a whole lot of gods that we listen to and obey. There are things all around us that we secretly believe that if we devote our lives to them, if we build our lives around them, if we listen to them and if, if we obey them, then these things will give us the deepest longings and desires of our heart. I think that we might have as many gods available to us as the Egyptians did. So I took a stab at kind of creating a list of just some of the potential gods that I think that we listen to and obey. Some gods that we put in place of our life. We orient all of our life around these things, achieving these things, in service to these things, according to these things, because of the belief that we think that these gods will bring us happiness. These gods will bring us meaning, and satisfaction, fulfillment, all of the things that we long for, comfort, security, peace. So here's just a short list. So you can count along at home, but here are just some of the gods that I think that we listen to and obey. Achievement, fame, professional success, wealth or status, intelligence, education, a great resume or CV, our own competence or skill, power, control, influence and importance, social standing, recognition or honor, 
I think we can make gods out of our family or having children or having successful children. Maybe a God of a romantic relationship or even a God of the emotional dependence that others have on you being needed, being valuable to others. Security, comfortable circumstances, the God of physical beauty or fitness or health, attractiveness. We even make gods out of morality or our own sense of personal virtue. We make gods out of ideas, ideologies, a great political or social cause. We make gods out of technological progress, military power, national pride, economic prosperity. We make gods out of hard work, out of duty, out of morality and virtue. We make gods out of individual freedom, out of personal discovery, self-expression, and fulfillment. You see, there are these false gods everywhere, all around us. These are things that we have taken and we have placed in the ultimate place in our life. These aren't bad things in and of themselves. It's not bad to work hard to try to provide for your family. It's not bad to want to be healthy or want to be physically attractive. It's not bad to want to you know, have the, the best education possible for your children. It's not bad to want to be needed by those you love most. None of these things are bad. They're actually often quite good. The problem comes when we make them a God. The, the challenge for us comes when we begin to place our hope, our desires, our belief that these things and these things alone can bring us all that we're longing for, all that we're desperate for, all that we need and want in this life. And by doing so, we take these good things and we deify them. And we make them these false gods that we listen to and we obey, that we sacrifice to, that we live our lives in service to. And by doing so, we come to realize that these gods control us. They dictate our choices, our actions, our behaviors, our beliefs, the way that we interact with other people. These gods begin to run our life because we listen to them and we obey them because we believe that they're going to give us everything that we need, all that we want, all that we're longing for. Let me give you a personal example of kind of how this works in my life. So I think one of the gods that I have erected in my own life, one of the good things that I have deified, and this thing that I am working through is the God of like personal achievement and perfection, self-optimization. I want to be the best possible version of myself that I can across every single category. Now you say, Stephen, that sounds like a normal thing. It is, until I put it in an abnormal place, until I take this good thing about trying to be the best me I can be and I deify it. And I begin to believe that if I can actually achieve this through the pursuit of personal excellence, that it is the thing that's gonna bring me the love, the satisfaction, the comfort, the relationships, the meaning, the fulfillment, the purpose, when I believe that personal achievement, self-optimization, all of the ways that I'm trying to exude personal excellence, when I believe that when I live my life in service to that, that is the path to ultimate happiness and meaning, then I've made it a God. I've made it my God because I listen to it and I obey it. All of my actions and choices are oriented in service to it. I spend too much money on things that I think will make me better. 
I discount certain relationships in favor of other relationships because I think that's going to move me closer towards this goal of becoming the best version of myself. I spend too much time in the gym or care too much about what I eat or what I look like or the clothes that I wear. All of these things because I think that there is a version of myself that's so great that if I could achieve that, then I'd finally be happy. But it's a lie. This voice that whispers to me, if Stephen, you could only become more like this, then you would have, it never stops. It always requires more of me. It's always asking more. And the same thing is true for the gods that we have in our lives, the gods that you have in your life. These gods are never satisfied. They're asking for more. Just spend a little more time at work. Just take one more business trip. Just you know, acquire a little bit more wealth. Or if you could move into that neighborhood or have this house or that car, or if you could get into that school and it constantly is asking for more and for more and for more and for you to sacrifice and to give up and to discount others at the expense of the other things that you value in your life. See, these gods are never satisfied. And the reason is they're never satisfied is because they're actually incapable of bringing us what we need and what we want. They can't deliver on the promise they make to us. And yet we listen and we obey them. It's like a form of spiritual addiction. And just like any addiction, it requires more and more sacrifice for less and less of reward, less and less of a payoff, less and less of a hit. We see this over and over again in our lives. What used to be a good thing, we have made into a false god. And when it moves into that place of a false guard, we spend our lives in service to it so much so that we lose ourselves. We lose the other good things in our life. We all know someone who at the expense of his family, at the expense of a relationship with their children, at the expense of their reputation, has gained material wealth or success or achievement or recognition. The opposite is true. We all know parents who in the pursuit of having well-raised, well-educated, successful children have been so focused on that that they lose themselves in that pursuit. And by losing themselves in that pursuit of having great kids, they ultimately contribute to some of the issues and the problems and the difficulties that these kids face in life that actually work against and undo the very thing that these parents were hoping for and working towards. We see this again and again and again across every area and every industry. All of our jobs, all of our places of employment, all of our industries have these set of values that we are supposed to align ourselves to, that the promise is made that when you focus on these things and you'll get these other things at the expense of important things. I mean, we see a great example of this in professional sports. These athletes who desire so much to make the Hall of Fame end up making choices, making compromises and sacrifices and maybe doing things illegally, cheating, just to accomplish this greater goal. But in the process of cheating and the means necessary to achieve and satisfy this God, they ultimately end up further away from the place that they wanted to end up in the beginning. And so they take steroids or they steal signals. And by doing so, they further eliminate the possibility that they're ever going to achieve the goal that they originally set out to. These gods are relentless and they're ruthless and they're constantly asking you for more, to make more compromises, to make more risk, to engage in worse behavior, 
all in the name of trying to appease them and to satisfy them. And this happens every single day. And I think it's the issue that plagues us. It's the issue that we struggle with. And ultimately, if we continue to listen and obey these gods, if we continue to believe the lies that they tell us, it's going to end in disaster. It's going to end in destruction. You see, this is exactly what we see happen in the story of Exodus and with Pharaoh. This is what the plagues are all about. Kind of those famous moments where you see all of the different diseases and pestilence and frogs and all of the things that happen to the Egyptians. This is a response to the question that Pharaoh asked at the very beginning. Who is the Lord that I should listen and obey? And then God responds again and again and again. Now these plagues are not random. God just didn't spin a wheel of bad things that could happen to people and then kind of initiate all of this. No, all of the plagues that the, Israel, that the Egyptians experience are connected to specific Egyptian deities. So, the very first plague, when God turns the Nile River into blood, that was to overthrow, to show the futility of and the falsehood of the Egyptian god Happy, who was the god of the Nile. And then the other plagues that happen are all connected to other Egyptian deities. So the river turning to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock, the, the locusts, the boils, the hail, the darkness, all of these are showing the futility of these Egyptian gods. So what happens each time that, you know, it, the Egypt experiences one of these plagues, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, God is asking you to listen and obey. Let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh, it says, his heart is hardened or he hardens his heart and he says no. And so the Lord sends a plague and he says, so that Pharaoh will know that I am God. There is only one true God. All of these other gods are false gods and I'm gonna demonstrate to you that these other gods are false gods because I'm gonna make something bad happen to which they should be in control of that they're not gonna be able to stop. And so then it happens. And then when the plague happens, Pharaoh responds to it and he says, okay, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, my bad, you're right, like, we'll let him go. And then as soon as he says that, moments later, he changes his mind. And he doubles back and goes against his word. And then the cycle repeats. And so Moses comes again and says, Pharaoh, the Lord is asking you to listen and obey. Will you do it? And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting him go. So the Lord sends another plague so that Pharaoh will know that this is the Lord, the one true God. And then because of the pain and the destruction that's experienced, Pharaoh changes his mind and says, fine, I'll let him go. Again and again and again. This is not all that unlike someone who drinks too much. And then the next morning wakes up and says what? I am never drinking that much again. While we're in the middle of pain, while we are suffering the consequences of devoting our life to something or the pursuit of something, when we're in the middle of the struggle, we are willing to orient our lives to a new God. And then the pain goes away and inevitably we fall back into the same behavior that we were in before. Cycle after cycle. This is what the plagues are. It's an opportunity to Pharaoh, for Pharaoh to realize that the gods that he serves, the Egyptian gods that they hold, 
are just false gods. And anytime you orient your life towards a false god, anytime you live your life in service to one of these false gods, it always ends in destruction. As we pursue these things, as we desire a specific relationship and we sacrifice everything else in pursuit of it, what we end up with is this relationship may not end up panning out. And when the relationship falls apart, we're left with nothing and we're devastated because that God could never satisfy us like the way that that God promised that it could. When we devote our lives to these things and then we get close to having them, or when we achieve them and we realize that they don't actually bring the meaning and the satisfaction, the sense of fulfillment that we long for, we find ourselves in this place of despair. We don't understand why we're not happy. We've achieved everything that we've wanted to. That's why Hollywood is filled with unhappy, famous, attractive, wealthy people. Why? Because those things are never meant to provide what we long for most. Now, it's not just Hollywood. It's all around us. We all know people who, based on their circumstances, if those gods were real gods, would be the happiest, most fulfilled, most satisfied people in the world. Because they seem to have it all. And if those gods were true gods, then they would have the happiness that they're longing for. But they don't. Why? Because those promises the gods make are lies. Getting everything that you've ever wanted will not make you happy. What you'll realize is there are more things that you now want. You'll continue to move the goalpost further and further away. Getting that career that you have longed for, getting that promotion, finding that spouse, any of the things that we place all of our hopes and dreams and meaning, fulfillment and personal sense of satisfaction upon, once we get them, we realize that they don't actually provide the thing that we hope that they provided. So what do we do? What do we do? When we're asking the question, which God should I listen to and obey? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to begin to identify the false gods in our lives. We have to be able to name them for what they are. I think there are three things that are indicators for how we can identify these false gods. I think it's our fantasies, our finances, and our feelings. Now let me unpack these three. I think each of those point to perhaps where we have false gods in our lives. So first, your fantasies. What are the things that you daydream about? What are the things that when all is still, maybe right before you go to bed or right as you wake up or when there's a quiet moment somewhere, where does your mind go? What are your thoughts leading you to? What are those secret dreams, those hopes, those wishes, those stories that play out in your mind? What are they oriented around? Gosh, if I could only have or if I could only get more of, or gosh, if life looked like this, then I would have everything I need. I would finally be happy. I'd be satisfied. I'd be content. I could stop working so hard. I think our fantasies can point us to the false gods in our life. I also think our finances can do the same. Jesus says later in the New Testament, where your, scripture, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think the things that we spend our money on can point to our false gods. I don't think they always do, but I think when there are places that we spend a disproportionate amount of our money or money that we don't have to spend or places that we can't stop spending, I think that might be an indicator of a false god that we have. 
So for you, if it's clothes, or if it's vacations, or if it's on experiences of a certain nature, it might be an indication that you have erected a false god that is telling you the lie that if you can finally get enough of this or more of that, then you'll have the sense of satisfaction and meaning and purpose that you long for. The last is our feelings. I think at the core of some of our strongest emotions might be an anchor tethered to these false gods. Now, what do I mean by that? If you find that there are times when you're unbelievably angry about something, or you feel despondent, or a moment of despair, or deep sadness, check that out. Investigate that a little bit. It might be because it's attached to a false god. Like with me. I know, for example, that in my quest for personal excellence, anytime I find someone or something that obstructs my progress, I get really frustrated, abnormally frustrated, like disproportionately frustrated from how I should be. I get all worked up about it. Why? Because I've erected a false God and something is impeding me from the thing that I long for most, the sense of satisfaction, happiness, contentment. And so what am I frustrated about? Well, someone stopped me from making the progress that I want to make in some area or category of my life. Ah, it's a clue. Maybe this self-progress is a false God that needs to be removed and replaced. And so identify what are the things that you fantasize about? Where do you spend your finances? What are your strongest, deepest, most obvious feelings connected to? And my guess is when you do that, you'll begin to identify the false gods in your life. Then the next thing that we have to do once we identify them is we have to begin to listen and to obey. That's the question that Pharaoh asks. Who is the Lord that I should listen and obey? And the reality is, and the truth is, there is only one place There's only one source of all of the satisfaction, all of the hope, all of the fulfillment, all of the happiness that we are looking for in this life. It is not found in any other false God or any other place other than the one true God who created you and knows you and designed you with a void that only God can fill. There's a reason we are longing and searching for something. It's because we are designed to be in relationship with this God. But when we put other false gods in its place, it only leads to destruction for us. And so my question for you this morning is, will you listen? And will you obey? Now, I know that's easier said than done. But that is the story of the Christian faith. A long obedience in the same direction. Making choices day in, day out about what matters most, about where you place your trust in, about what you depend on, what you build your life on, what you orient your finances around, the values and priorities that you set for your family or for yourself or for your business. All of this contributes to your ability to listen and to obey the one true God. Now, for us, the second half of Exodus is all about how we listen and obey. And so for more information on that, you'll just have to tune in in future weeks. 
But as we kind of conclude our time this morning, I hope that you'll begin to investigate the false gods that you have in your life, that you'll begin to identify them, that you'll begin to realize that the promises that you're asking, that they're asking you to listen to, they're lies. They'll never lead you where you want to go. They'll never take you to the place that they say they will. As soon as you get there, they'll move the, the marker further ahead. They'll ask more of you, or eventually it'll all implode and it'll lead to your destruction. This isn't hyperbole. This is fact. Just pick up any newspaper or any tabloid. You'll see this play out again and again and again. This is the thing that plagues the hearts of humanity. We put good things in place of God and we devote our lives to them and it never takes us where we want to go. So who is the Lord that you would listen to and obey? He's the one true God and is the only source of all that you're looking for. Let's pray. Gracious God, it is you. No matter how hard we look or where we search or all of the things that we might put in your place, there's only one thing that can satisfy us. And that's the one that created us. So God, help us to identify the false gods in our lives. Help us to remove them and replace them with the life that listens to and obeys your voice. God, encourage us. Help us to recognize that nothing else matters but our relationship with you. Everything else is secondary. God, help us be available for your voice, for you to speak to us, for you to lead us and to guide us. And in doing so, we find all the life that you promise us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.